Welcome to the Ex-Good Girl Podcast. What is an ex-good girl? Someone who has decided to stop making other people comfortable at her own expense, to stop abandoning what she wants for her life out of fear of what other people will think, and to stop pretending that everything is fine when it's not. If you're a woman who feels exhausted by constant people-pleasing and perfectionism, and you're ready to stop but you just don't know how, you're in the right place. I'm Sarah Bybee Fisk, the Stop People Pleasing Coach, and I will teach you what you need to know to get out of that constant cycle of doubt, guilt, and resentment, and into a life that feels powerful and free. Enjoy the episode. You are listening to the X Good Girl Podcast, episode 37. Olivia Vizacro. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I am so excited to A, because you're one of my most favorite people in the world. I love the way your brain works. Um, I love how clearly and directly you say things. And I just, I think you're incredible. Likewise. Likewise. I think Sarah's energy. So for all of my listeners who are listening, uh, this is a conversation between me and an amazing coaching friend of mine, Sarah Fisk. And she just has this energy where like, I feel so calm and grounded in your presence all the time. And I just feel so like loved and adored. I can only imagine what your clients get from working with you. Well, they get all that. And um, we work on people pleasing. Yeah. Tell my people what you do. Yeah. So I am a master certified coach and instructor, and I teach women how to contain and get rid of the people-pleasing perfectionism and codependency that is just gunking up their life. Clogging the drain. This is such a good way to, to explain it. It is gunking up their lives for sure. I work with people, my people and people pleasing so frequently. And I just love how constrained you are to solving that problem because it's so prevalent. It like seeps into everything. Yeah. Well, the reason I want to have a conversation with you for my people, and I want you to tell them who you are in just a second, is how clearly you speak to elements that that are part of this people-pleasing unwinding in particular boundaries. So for my listeners, tell them who you are. Yeah. So my name's Olivia Vizacaro. I'm a life coach for lawyers, former lawyer over here. And I help lawyers live lives with less stress and far more fulfillment. And I coach on things like time management, boundary setting, people-pleasing. I really teach people how to make themselves their top priority so they can focus on their well-being and really thrive personally and professionally. Love it. So what really caught my attention and what made me reach out to you first is you did a an, a social media post yes. about boundaries that blew up. Blew Tell up. me about it. Yeah. Um, talk. There's actually a fun meta story about boundaries in this whole thing, which is so funny. So I did a post and I wasn't intending it to be as successful as it was, but it really took off. And I posted it on Instagram and then reshared it on Facebook like I do with most of my content. And I don't even spend much time on like the business Facebook page that I have. But it was all about here's what a boundary is and here's what a boundary isn't. And showing people the difference because what I find with my clients where they struggle with boundaries is they think a boundary is controlling someone else's behavior. It's about what the other person has to do. Versus what a boundary actually is, it's about what you will do if someone else 
does a particular course of action or engages in a particular behavior. So if you come over unannounced, I will not answer the door. That's a proper boundary versus an improper boundary. You can't come over unannounced, which like, absolutely they can. People can, yeah. they have the free will. They can show up all, all the time. So this post went crazy viral, millions and millions and millions of views, hundreds of thousands of shares. And I think one of the reasons it went viral, so viral on Facebook was this one person found the post and they were, in my words, unhinged by what I was talking about. They adamantly disagreed with me and they started commenting on the post, just like rapid fire, one comment after another, after another, after another. And I had a, I don't want to sound dramatic, but I do think it constitutes as this. I had a cyberbullying incident from a post I did in 2020. And I learned after that instance I don't respond to comments. So if it's a negative comment and I think I can educate my greater audience all at once, I'll respond one time for the purpose of educating the greater audience. It's never to convince the person that I'm responding to, to get them to change their mind. And then I only am allowed to respond once. After that, whatever they say, I do not respond. And it requires me to, and we'll talk about this with boundaries, but it requires me to feel misunderstood. It requires me to feel all this discomfort of honoring this boundary and not engaging with them more and more and more. So in this instance, I didn't think I could educate the greater audience. So I didn't even respond at all. And this person just kept going off and off and off in the comments. But so many people loved the post that they started arguing with him. So he left like 150 comments, I think at the- Oh my God. End of it, it. End of it all. It was crazy. He kept going for like two weeks. Like at a certain point, I was like a little frightened by it because it was so, so over the top, so aggressive. But it ended up, I think what he doesn't realize is that the more engagement there is on the post, the better the post does. So it went crazy viral and it's been shared so many times in different publications and things like that. And I think the thing that is so powerful about it is people are realizing what I'm doing is not working. And then they see this very simple post that's just very matter of fact, this is not a boundary, this is a boundary, this is not a boundary, this is a boundary. And they're like, oh, I see what it would look like in practice. And that's a huge part of my coaching is to teach people through examples, through stories, through analogies, because I think people need to see it. Otherwise you can teach them doctrine, but it doesn't land. They don't know how to apply it. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because I, before coming to coaching, before um, understanding like your definition of a boundary is what I will do, what is completely within my control when something is happening that I don't want to be a part of or that I don't want in my life. And I spent a lot of time using the word boundaries incorrectly, it was really just my my control, my the the menu of all the things that you need to do for me. Yes. So that I can feel like I'm a good mom or so that I can have the sense of that I'm being successful or that I'm happy. Where do you find people's misunderstanding of boundaries? Like where does it come from? I think people model it for us growing up. Really, I think we get taught like no one ever sits us down. I mean, we do in coaching, thank goodness. And this is one of the amazing reasons to work with a coach. But like our parents teach us a lot of bad 
improper boundary setting of like, you can't do this. You have to do that. Like, this is good. This is bad. And you have to do the good thing and you can't do the bad thing. Right. Like even the parents I coach, you're thinking like, if you, I automatically default to like speaking improper boundaries. It's like what the parent's going to do if the child doesn't behave. Right. But it's like the boundary is you have to go to bed at 8 PM. And kids don't have to, I'm sure kids prove to parents every (laughs) single day that they don't actually have to go to bed at 8 PM. So it's not a boundary that you have to go to bed at 8 PM. Or, you know, I see this with, uh, we can use the school example. It's like what we're taught growing up of like, you have to be in class by 745. And anyone who's ever been late for class knows that that's not true you don't have to be in class by 745. So I think it's just the way we use language to articulate improper boundaries that becomes very normalized. It's a lot of you can't, you have to, you must, you need to, you should. And all of that's not true. One of the concepts that I teach my clients is that there's only five things you ever have to do. And most people, you can quickly tell if you're setting an improper boundary, if you're, if it's not one of those five and you're telling someone that they need to do something that isn't one of those five things. And it's really simple. You need to eat, breathe, drink some water, sleep. And a client of mine just added this one. And I tend to agree with her, use the restroom. And those are the five things that you have to do. And everything else is optional and boundaries improper boundaries come from this mistaken belief that someone has to do something. And it's just a really easy litmus test. Are you arguing with someone's free will? And I just think that we're taught that growing up. It's how parents, parent children, it's how disciplinarians all throughout our lives discipline people or threaten people to use fear as like a motivating factor, like ultimatums, things like that. And they're just improper boundaries. Well, and you add to that the good girl programming yes. that so many of my clients are, are are coming up against. Like life is all of these rules. You have to be nice. You don't rock the boat. You don't share an opinion that's going to make someone else uncomfortable. You like, and and in a way, like all of the groups that we belong to, they have rules, right? And there's cultural rules, there's community rules, there's religious rules. And so I think some of the ways that this gets kind of turned around is that rules actually exist and we confuse those or we don't see the space for our autonomy in them because for a lot of years, we don't have autonomy. We don't feel like we have autonomy. I do have to be nice. I do have to be a good student. I do. And for a lot of my clients, it's the way they get love, the way they get connection, the way they get friendship is by obeying all of these rules. And so the first step to understanding the difference between like a rule or a limit and a boundary is, are you willing to risk whatever you're getting out of obeying this rule by setting a boundary. So for example, let's take, you know, what you said, you're not allowed to come over or if if yeah. you come over unannounced, I will not open the door. Well, if my mom has the practice of coming over unannounced, am I willing to risk upsetting her by setting the boundary of, if you do this, I will not answer the door. Yeah. 
And I even get more specific than that. Like I'm really microscopic with the language here because I coach using the mod- the model and I'm such, uh, my coaching is so reliant on that. I heavily use it in my coaching. So I would say like, I am I willing to risk her being upset? Yes. Because I teach my people. I'm like, mom upsets herself by expecting you to answer when she comes over on an hour, right? Versus like the... I risk upsetting her, which is the vernacular that we all use. Like in shorthand, people aren't used to being that particular with it. But I really do like come in with tweezers with the language. So it's like, nope, that tiny little tweak. Are we willing to risk her being upset about it? And most people aren't, right? Because everybody needs a break sometimes. The Ex-Good Girl podcast is on a four-week break, and we will be back June 5th with new episodes. Until then, listen to some of your old favorites, get caught up, or join my free Stop People Pleasing Facebook group by finding the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to connect with you. Yeah, 100%, especially if they feel like her being upset threatens the love that they get from mom or the acceptance or the validation that they get from mom. I love the differentiation there. I think that in the beginning, one of the things that makes it cloudy is we don't see that differentiation. Yeah. That mom is in charge of the thoughts and feelings that she has and that I'm in charge of my own. And so I love, that's probably the first thing that needs to happen is for you to separate what ups- what is upsetting my mom is her thoughts about me not answering the door. Yes. She has an expectation that you answer right. and her expectation is a thought, right? And yeah. then when sh- that expectation encounters a situation where you don't answer the door, mom upsets herself. Right. And then mom reacts however mom reacts when mom is upsetting herself, but you not answering the door does not cause her emotion. And I absolutely agree with you. That's like the first layer of the foundation that we have to set in order to set and honor our own boundaries is really believing that while it may be very true that the person will be upset, you don't cause that emotion. That person's expectations of you are what cause that emotion. I just had this conversation with this is another great example of a, of a boundary. I just had this conversation with a client of mine. She is in the process of moving her daughter to college for her first year. And they had to go through the whole packing process. And I teach a concept, which I think really does tie in with boundaries. I call it the false third option. And the false third option is normally what people who don't want to set a boundary and actually honor the boundary are hoping to do. And it's all about controlling the other person's reaction, controlling the other person's emotion. So she was overseeing her daughter packing to go back to school. And her daughter, in her opinion, was taking too long to pack and wasn't packing the right things and all of this stuff. And they were supposed to leave by Wednesday at seven. And she kept, my client kept saying to me, she has to be ready by seven. I'm like, she absolutely doesn't have to be ready by seven, right? She gets to take as long as she wants to pack. She gets to take as long as she wants to take to decide which shoes to put in her bag. Like 
she has free will. Your daughter does. I always tell people, like, I jokingly say this, like in parentheses, unfortunately, like she has a free will, unfortunately. <laughs> but option number one is she takes as long as she's going to take and you wait. Option number two, which would be a proper boundary, would be you're leaving at seven. So if you're not ready, we're leaving anyways. I'm leaving anyways. That would be the proper boundary. And then the false third option is that you leave at seven and she's ready and you can control all of that, right? Like she's packed everything. Nothing is left undone. And that's amazing. It sounds lovely. It's just not within the mom's control. And she kept going to, but she has to be ready by seven. She has to be ready by seven. She has to be ready by seven. And it's like, if you're arguing with the person's free will, like you're already in bad territory. And then also I'm always thinking about like, what does hyper fixating on this avoid get you to avoid doing so like the mom didn't want to have the conflict of leaving when her daughter wasn't fully packed right and that's why people i believe fixate on controlling the other person and getting them to do it because they don't want to actually follow through with the consequence of the boundary violation oh that is huge for people pleasers because sure when i'm talking them through their options it's uncomfortable to constantly be people pleasing. You're yes. doing shit you don't want to do. You're saying <laughs> all the time, all the time, right? You're overscheduled. You're ruminating. You're resentful. That's that's one type of discomfort. So, a boundary for a people pleaser is something like, "I will no longer be accepting unpaid work requests for unpaid work." Right. Yeah. People can ask. People will always ask, especially women, because we are overly programmed to offer unpaid work. Yes. But the boundary, like it's uncomfortable to get stuck doing unpaid work. The boundary I will know if you ask for extra time, extra volunteering, extra mentoring that is not paid, I will say no. Perfect boundary. Yes. That is highly uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Because, and this is where the work is, which I think is so beautiful. Like boundary work is so powerful because it taps into all of this, right? It taps into your perfectionism. It taps into your people pleasing. And I know you see this with your clients all the time, but until you set the boundary, you never create an opportunity to create this resistance, to experience this discomfort. Like if you haven't decided on what you're going to do when it happens, then you just get to be in confusion and keep maintaining the status quo and doing what you've always done, which like you said, is its own brand of discomfort. But when you set the boundary and now it comes time to honor it and follow through, all this discomfort is going to come up, all this resistance is going to come up and you get to start to just explore what is going on here, right? Like one of the things that comes up for me is like what women especially are programmed to believe about like accepting money or wanting money or liking money. It's like, if I don't do the paid work, then I'm greedy. Or if I don't do the unpaid work, then I'm greedy, right? Yeah. Or um, I'm mean. I just talked to a client who she feels so empathetic towards her clients that she wants to discount her stuff or do things for free all the time. (laughs) <laughs> I'm pointing a big finger at myself say, here. <laughs> for, for those who can't see, Sarah's pointing a finger at herself. <laughs> and it's because of what we're conditioned to, to think that like we should be charitable, that it's virtuous, that it's good to be charitable. And these are all the assumptions that you never even have an opportunity to question until you decide on the boundary. And then all that resistance comes up. 
people are going to be mad at me. People are going to think I'm rude. People are going to, people are going to think dot, 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 right. Fill in the blank. And so for a lot of my people, that false third option is someone else is going to change. Someone else is going to change the dynamic. They're either going to stop asking or they're going to start agreeing with me or start doing what I want them to do. And I'm just going to wait for that. Yeah. So that's a false third option. And then the other false third option is you enforce the boundary and you control the other person's reaction to it. Because I'm sure you see this too, right? In a world of people pleasing where you're just taught to like shut up and like it, basically. Totally. You really want other people to do that with you. Oh, and it's infuriating when they don't. Correct. So it's like you set the boundary. And so in my client's example with her daughter leaving the college, like there's no way we can control her saying at seven o'clock, get in the car right now, like we're leaving. And there's even an argument about whether or not you have control over that. I think you have to be willing to drive away without your daughter in the car to like really enforce the boundary, which is what's fun with boundary work is you actually see like what control you have and what control you don't and how you can't force people to do things against their will. Right. But in that scenario, what my client was hoping for is like, we leave either she does everything perfectly and she's ready to go at seven, which we can't control. That's false option. Number one, the second false option is you leave before she's ready to leave. And we control her being happy about it, which is not going to happen. The daughter's going to be upset and think that her mom is wrong and that she should have behaved differently and all of those things. So You don't get to, A, control someone's behavior on the front end, nor do you get to control the reaction on the back end. Which really takes a capacity to tolerate discomfort. Yes. And a really clear way of deciding which discomfort do I want to take on? Correct. Do I want to take on? Go ahead. There's discomfort both ways, right? Yes. That's the truth. And the primitive part of your brain's always focused on avoiding the most immediate discomfort, which with your people pleasers, it's always to avoid saying no, avoid setting the boundary. It's like do what's ever easiest in the moment. My rule or what I teach my clients is if it's true that there's discomfort both ways, which the more you test this, the more you will just see that that that's the case, that's accurate. Then if you're left with discomfort both ways, I highly suggest you pick the path that gets you the life you want. So true. For my people pleasers who feel almost carried away by Mm. that avoiding the most immediate discomfort, it's like such a habit to just have someone, let's go back to, you know, boss requests. Hey, we have a new employee who really needs some mentoring. You are so good at it. I really would appreciate it if you could let him know when you will be available for some mentoring calls over the next couple of months. And that tight in the chest because all the buttons are being pushed. The boss is recognizing me, uh, appreciating me, giving me, you know, some kudos and high fives for work that I do. I don't want to do it. It takes pausing. It takes having a moment to come back to the part of your brain that makes the best decisions, which is not what is online in that moment when you're being asked for something and you're feeling that inner tension. I don't want to do this. And yet 
I really want to avoid this immediate discomfort. Yeah. So what I teach is you memorize a phrase. Yes. I love this. So good. I would love to think about that and get back to you. Ooh, let me check my calendar and circle back. I've got a couple things I need to work through. You'll hear from me in a couple of days. How do you teach your clients to manage that, the, the real stress, the real nervous system response that happens when we are trying to manage that immediate discomfort? Yes. I teach the exact same thing. I'm like, you just got to buy yourself some time, right? Yes. And I think one of the things that makes us powerful coaches is we're not sitting here trying to blow smoke, right? I'm not going to expect you to nail this when you're so used to people pleasing in this moment, right? So asking you to give the hard no on the call when you're dying inside. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. So I'm always looking for like, what's the easiest path forward? What's the first next step? So for my people, that's like, you just got to get off the phone. Yes. You got to get off the phone. You just have to create some distance. So my people, I literally, I can't believe you're using this example. I had this conversation with a client yesterday. She was asked this by a partner who just has a boundary. He does not mentor. He spends all his non-billable time doing business development. So he's either billing time or developing business. That's it. So any like firm, charitable uh, contribution in terms of his time, he doesn't do. And he gave her this whole spiel about how she should do it. And it's better if she does it. He's not going to do it, but it's better if she does it because she's a woman and she's mentoring another woman. And that's really amazing. People need role models to look up to who are similarly situated to them. And like, I'm just thinking it's all BS, right? Mm -hmm. But it's triggering all of what you said, right? That, that good girl mentality, the, I want to get the gold star. I want to be the team player, that identity and all those badges of honors, badges of honor that people wear that help them feel really good, but ultimately lead to them feeling really bad. Right. Yes. So I teach, you got to buy yourself some time. A lot of my clients deal with phone calls of like, Hey, can you get this to me by tonight? Hey, can you get this to me first by first thing in the morning? And they're so used to saying yes, just a knee jerk. Yes. Instead of pausing and actually figuring out, do I have time to do that? Does that make sense? Is it going to require me to blow another deadline? Am I going to be late on something that I promised to someone else? Like there's a whole framework of analysis that you need to do in order to avoid over-promising and under-delivering, which a lot of people pleasers do. Mm-hmm. They overcommit themselves and then the commitments that they make are so unrealistic that they end up doing exactly what they don't want to do, which is having someone be disappointed with them, right? Or underperforming Absolutely. Or the mark. And yeah. they're well-intentioned. They're just not thinking of the practical aspects like the math of time management when they're committing themselves. So I teach people, I'm like, you got to get off the phone. You got to look at your calendar. You have to actually process, can I do this? Better question I think is, do I want to do this? Yes. And then find your honest answer, see what your resistance is to following through on that answer and really like coach yourself through it of like, yeah, this is going to be super uncomfortable. You know that I teach a concept, I call it gag and go. Yes. And this is like a signature part of my coaching because so much of what we do to create the lives we want to live requires us to embrace that discomfort. 
And I think people really get themselves into a quandary because they're expecting it to not be uncomfortable and they're making the discomfort equal a problem. And it's like, I need to solve the discomfort in order to be able to do this. I'm like, no, 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 no. You just need to be able to feel the discomfort in order to be able to do this. So I always tell people, I'm like, you're going to want to vom when you're telling the boss, hey, I actually can't mentor this person. Yeah. It is going to make you nauseous. You're going to feel like you're going to die. You're not going to die. 100%. Yeah. But you have to just practice gagging and going through that discomfort. And I don't know if you teach your people this, but I think the small ways that you can do that more frequently, it's like, don't start with the heaviest thing to say no to, right? Yes. Like, if you've gone to your mom's house every year for Christmas for the past 25 years and you really don't want to go, but the thought of going this year for whatever reason just sounds miserable, don't start there. Like with the family dynamics, exactly. all the discomfort yeah. and all the guilt and all the shame and all of the all of the stuff, right? All of the judgment, all of the fear, all of the worry. Start with like a stakes. lower risk, a yeah. lower stakes. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. so no. much easier to make progress on something lower stakes or lower risk to set a boundary with someone who, where you can totally handle the ramifications, their yes. discomfort, their disapproval, and you can literally build a muscle. Yes. That gag and go reflex is, or to, you know, f- tolerating. I will say that for a lot of the clients I work with, it emotional processing is an important part of that as well. In the moment, you just have to feel the the I'm going to vomit and do it anyway, and then learn how to take care of all of those emotions when you're not in the moment. But I actually have a client I'm working with right now. Her husband is spending so much money that it's actually threatening them financially. And we decided that the first, she's not going to have that conversation first. Every Saturday, he wants her to um, accompany him uh, to the golf course. And she wants, he wants her to drive the cart while he golfs and he likes spending time with her. She doesn't want to do it. She'd rather be home doing her own things. So that lower risk situation, she's going to say no to that first and build up the muscle and the ability to be able to say no to this much higher stakes situation later. That's amazing. I think about one of the things that I watch my clients struggle with a lot is someone proposing a meeting time that doesn't work for them. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's an everyday occurrence, perhaps. So you get so many opportunities, so many reps to push back and say no. And I teach my people to set boundaries around their calendar. So when do they take meetings? When do they do focused work? When do they, uh, you know, when do they do calls? When do they respond to emails? We have some structure there just so they have some more control over their calendar. But even practicing if a friend's like, hey, dinner at six, and you're like, oh, that's really tight. That doesn't work for me. And like you feel that urge to people please and say yes. You get to practice saying, how about 6.30? How about seven, right? Or I can't do six. I can do seven, right? Really like being firm in the no and then offering something else. And then if it doesn't work for someone, 
you can say, hey, how about another night rather than acquiescing to the 6 p.m.? I love this idea of starting with lower stakes because you still have the experience of feeling uncomfortable, but you also get a success and you get to exercise that muscle of either saying no, strong no, six doesn't work. How about 6.30? And, and just feel what that process feels like. So if you are new to setting boundaries, let's just be really clear. The boundary is what you will do when something happens in your life or something happens around you that either doesn't work for you or do not want to be a part of. So what are lower stake situations? What, how could you take the terror of saying, of having like the big, huge conversations off, just take it off the the table for just a little bit. We'll get there. But where could you set some boundaries so that you can feel discomfort and have success? Yes. So good. Even just a simple one, like um, no calls between five and eight. Like if you've got kids, a lot of my clients have that. So it's like, if you call me between five and eight, I will not answer. If you ask me to get on a call between five and eight, I will tell you no. For some of the attorneys that I work with, they have clients who want to get on the phone like before the start of the workday. Yeah. Which to me, like my judgment of that is just that's bananas, but people accommodate it begrudgingly, right? So it's like, I if you ask me to speak before nine, I will say no. If you ask me to like a boundary would be if you ask me to meet at a time that requires me to reschedule something, I will say no. I have a policy for unscheduled phone calls. If you call me and it's an unscheduled call, I will not answer. Like these are some low hanging fruit items that like you just don't answer your phone. Yeah. Just watch it ring. And you're like, nope, I'll email you shortly thereafter and be like, Hey, so you called, let's schedule a time to talk because I want my, all of my calls to be scheduled. And I want to know what it's about. That's another great boundary. If I don't know what the call's about, I don't get on the call. That's a great one. Yeah. That's a great one. When do you ever have, cause I, I can see in my people pleasers minds right now, but what if they push back? What if they're like, why, what, what if there's like, I could probably muster the gag and go courage to just be like, if you call me and I don't know what the call is about, I will not answer. But then how do you talk about pushback? Yeah. So this is really great. So the first thing that comes up when you ask me that question is we don't have to actually communicate boundaries. So we don't have to tell people that that can just be your policy. And if someone calls you and you don't know what it's about, you don't answer. They don't need to know that you have a whole policy about this. That's your business. Now, sometimes I think it does make more sense to communicate a boundary just so people, you can start to like train them essentially. Now, whether we actually do train them or not isn't within our control because they have free will, but like you might want to tell your mom, Hey mom, if you keep coming over unannounced, like I'm not going to answer the door. It disrupts the time I spend with my husband, whatever. Like I like to be able to plan for when you're going to be coming over. So I'm not distracted. You might have reasons for that. But number one, we don't actually have to communicate a boundary. Number two, this is so important. And I think a lot of people go off the rails here is they think they should only have to enforce the boundary once. 
and you're just mistaken. So I think you should factor that in when you're thinking about setting a boundary. Do I want to continuously reinforce this? Am I going to be okay defending this over and over and over again? So for my clients who don't want to work nights or weekends, you're going to have to enforce that boundary all the time. People are going to keep asking you to do things that would require you to work nights and weekends. And over and over and over again, it has to fall on you to honor that. Or uh, a really good example of this in a personal situation. I don't like to talk politics with people if we don't agree. I don't see any value in the conversation. I'm not going to convince them. They're not going to convince me. I just don't like the energy of the conversation. So I now have a rule. Like if you bring up politics, I will not respond. To the point where I can drive in silence with someone. Uh I just won't talk. (laughs) But what most people do is they think, well, that means the person can't bring up politics. No, 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 no. They absolutely can bring up politics. And I've been in multiple situations where people will bring it up. And I'm like, ooh, I'm not going to have that conversation. And I just stop talking. And then they keep talking about it and it, inviting me. Well, what do you think about this? Well, what, what you can't think that. Do you actually believe this? Like kind of goading yeah, me or baiting yeah. me into the conversation. And it's up to me to just hold my boundary and do not respond. Now I get to choose after that. Like, do I want to spend time with people who keep bringing up conversations that I don't want to have? That's yeah. I just want to offer for if you know that a couple other options for that pushback because I know that especially the people I work with who are so sensitive to other people's reactions. This is oftentimes when a lot of oversharing happens because they just think if I just talk enough, they'll understand me. If I just give them all of my reasons, so you know, boss. We have this new employee. Will you mentor him? Well, I'd really like to, but you see, I'm starting this new kindergarten program with reading program with my daughter and I really want to be helped. And they just start talking and talking and talking because- You know what I call this? Tell me. Apology vomiting. (laughs) It's either apology vomiting or itinerary vomiting, but it's like, it's for this purpose. And all of my references have vomit in them. I don't know why they just do it, but gag and go, apology vomiting, but like continue. I love this. This It's so good. It's so true because you just, you're thinking if I just get enough information out, they will see my point. And also women are also programmed that if you say no, you have to have a damn good reason. Yes. And it has to be well-researched. You have to have all of your good, you know, really bulletproof reasons for why you're saying no. And so I offer three different kinds of what I call softeners because a no to a people pleaser can feel very hard. Yes. And we don't like, or we have to develop a a relationship with that hard. Like I I'm actually not accepting any unpaid work right now. I mean, that feels hard. hard. So first kind of softener is gratitude. Thanks for hearing me out. It's not an apology. It is not a reason. It is, thank you. Thanks for listening to my no, essentially. Yeah. The second one, if it's information. So if there is something relevant that would help that that person, relevant, like, let's say that there is an actual after school reading program that your dyslexic daughter needs to be driven to, 
then you can offer that information in one concise sentence. That's not going to work for me. My daughter is starting this after-school program, and I will be driving her to that during that time. And then the last one is actually my favorite because it's so easy and yet so uncomfortable. It's just to express understanding like, that makes sense. Yeah, I understand why you would want me to do that. And then stop talking. Because other people are going to continue to want things from us. They're going to want mom at the door, pounding on the door. Well, I just don't understand why you won't just let me come over. They're my grandchildren. I should be able to see them. So to say to her, I get it, mom. Yeah, that makes sense that you would feel that way. And stop talking because we can agree like, yeah, mom's thoughts and what's whatever's going on in her mind, that makes sense. I understand that. And it is still a no for me. That doesn't change what I, what I am setting as the boundary. So gratitude, information, understanding my favorite sentence. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand I why that. you would feel that way. I love that. I say that a lot now, actually. Yes. Um, like even when I've been criticized. Yeah. I'm like, I can see that too. Like yeah, I understand I why it. you would feel that way. Like I get it. I'm not do. I'm not people pleasing you. I'm not doing the thing that you want me to do. Exactly. Right? Someone yeah. doesn't like a boundary. It's like, yeah, I think that's another instance to use that. It's like, yeah, I understand. I understand why you would feel that way. Especially because when we stop people pleasing, when we stop being codependent, when we set up boundaries that are actually in our control to enforce, there are people who will be upset because they were benefiting yes. from us not having them. For sure. There's a shift. They yeah. liked people pleasing you. When I stopped people pleasing, people were not fond of it. They were 100%. like, what? You used to always say yes to everything. I'm like, I know. <laughs> now I say yes to myself. Right? Yeah. It's it's a shift. And I think, you know, there's a couple other things that really merit mention here. Number one, you got to practice with the boundaries and you want to make sure that you're setting boundaries from a really clean place. So it's not about controlling the other person's behavior. You're very much accepting of their free will. It's you're fine if they comply and you're fine if they don't comply with the boundary because your job is to take care of you and to follow through on what you agreed to do. You have to be willing to follow through on it, though. So if you're not going to follow through on it, all you've created is an idle threat. And that is not the territory that you want to be in. A, I think it takes you out of integrity of just operating the way that you said you were going to operate. And you're normally setting the boundary to manipulate someone else's behavior rather than take care of and follow through, take care of yourself and follow through with the action you said you would take if a certain incident arises. So you've got to be really clean about that. I think the other thing that comes up for people is they're like, so so what am I supposed to do? Like, am I not supposed to have expectations of people? What boundaries should I set? What boundaries shouldn't I set? Should I just like be tolerant of all behavior? And I'm like, no, of course not. But you really want to check in with yourself and be clear, like, why am I setting this? What's my preference here? Am I just trying to control someone else's behavior? Do I have a strong opinion about this? Is this a standard that's being like violated or breached? What do I want my life to look like? And really taking all of that into consideration. Does that come up with your people? Oh, it does all it does all the time is if I can't, it's it it it's really just kind of black and white thinking. Well, if I can't control them with my misuse of boundaries, like 
do I ever just get to ask for what I want? I'm like, of course. Yeah. But that's not a boundary. So good. That's a preference. That's a want or a desire. And then if they say no, like you said, I get to decide, do I want to be in a relationship with this person who will not honor or give me some of my preferences in, in a way that is meaningful to me? But that's just not a boundary. And what I think is so powerful about understanding this is exactly what you just said. When I understand that a boundary is completely in my control, I always have an avenue of action for me. And if this person complies, fine. If they don't, also fine. My mom, if she keeps knocking at the door, I'm not powerless. I just don't answer. Correct. There's always a way for me to stay engaged and feel like I have I have some power in the situation. That's the true power of understanding boundaries. Correct. And I'm so curious to get your take on this because there are instances where the only boundary, and you've got to go through this framework, right? It's the if-then framework. If you do this, then I will do this. And there are two instances that come to mind because I think sometimes the only boundary that's really available to you and within your free will and control is pretty draconian. It's pretty drastic. It's pretty severe. So I had a client once, her husband leaves food out on the counter and her boundary is he can't leave food out on the counter. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not a boundary. That's a preference. And also like a rule you're creating that someone doesn't have to follow, but that's not a boundary. You know, you can ask him to not leave food on out on the counter, which I'm sure she had done a million times and he was still doing it. And she's like, well, what's the proper boundary there? And really the proper, proper boundary is like, if you keep doing this, like I will leave there or withhold something else from him. But yeah, like, it ends yeah. up being like really kind of re- coming from resentment and like you're punishing the other person versus like taking care of yourself. And really the only way to just take care of yourself. Cause she was like, if you do this, then I'll leave it on your desk. And I'm like, okay, like the energy of that doesn't feel clean. So if you were really just going to take care of yourself, the only thing you can really do is remove yourself from the environment. Or like if an improper boundary would be, you have to show up on time when we make plans, they absolutely don't have to. So it's like, if you're continuously late, I will stop going to dinner with you or I will stop dating you or whatever. Right. And they tend to be pretty severe. And I think you really have to do the work of figuring out, do I care enough about the offensive, you know, air quotes here, the offensive behavior, the behavior that I feel offended by or about to do something like that's the only remedy. It's pretty drastic. Do you see that with clients ever? What I see is they're completely skipping the work of what are my reasons? Yeah. And and like you said, is this a boundary that I'm willing to enforce to what end? Mm-hmm. For how long? Yes. And I I also think that in like loving, connected, intimate relationships, can I have the conversation like, hey, let's talk about this food on the counter. Do I can I confront the discomfort of just having the conversation to understand why this is happening. Because if I have made a request of you and we are in a loving, committed relationship, I want my preferences honored, just like I honor your preferences. So what's in the way here? 
And that can often be a more vulnerable conversation than if you don't take care of this food, I'm leaving, right? That, And so I don't necessarily see it as, um, I see it as multi-step and there's lots of opportunities, but ultimately if there is something happening that you do not want to be a part of, you get to decide, do I stay or do I go? That is always the last, the last stand, the last territory. But I think it's almost a good rule of thumb to notice where the really where the only boundary available that is Mm -hmm. within your control is that drastic. Yeah. It's sort of like a little like flag indicating there's a conversation to be had here. Yes. Right. Rather than like just going directly into setting a boundary, there's a conversation to be had here. I have a client who, um, her stepdaughter, who's an adult lives with her and her husband, and she wants that to come to an end sooner rather than later. And they're like, she cohabitates with someone. So in cohabitation situations, like you're limited to a certain degree. Right. And just talking through like, well, you can always leave if the stepdaughter stays there indefinitely, but what conversation aren't you having? And there was so much fodder there for work. Yes. Because oftentimes we need help to have the conversation around just tolerating the discomfort of, I need to be honest with you. I have been lying to you. I have not been upfront about my real feelings about this. And that has done both of us a disservice. And now I need to tolerate the discomfort of telling you the truth which is so common people pleaser land where everybody just lies to get out of things because they can't tolerate just speaking up and saying what's really on their mind. Correct. It's so beautiful. And I think that really brings us home here. It's like the bridge between people pleasing and boundary setting. It's like on the road from one to the other. Can we stop and have a conversation? Yeah. Can we stop and have a conversation? Can I be truthful? Can I say what I need to say? And then can I train my brain to think in terms of what is fully in my power and hold on to that as my definition of a boundary? So I'm not constantly feeling resentment when people violate my boundaries. Correct. So good. Olivia, this has just been an amazing conversation. I so love the way your brain works and how you explain things. If people are interested in finding you, where can they look? I am on LinkedIn and Instagram, LinkedIn under my name, Olivia Bizacro, Instagram. My handle is The Less Stressed Lawyer. And then I have a podcast of my own, The Less Stressed Lawyer Podcast. And my website is the same thing, thelessstresslawyer.com. What about you? Sarah Fisk Coaching on Instagram. Um, my website is sarahfisk.coach. Yes, coach is a URL these days. Crazy. And um, Olivia, we should do this again. We should just talk about all of the things that people misunderstand in these interactions because I think there's a bunch of them. I totally agree with you. And I'd love to have you back on the podcast. So Sarah's podcast is the Good Girl Podcast, right? The ex-Good Girl Podcast. Much better. Sorry. That's right. (laughs) Good Girl Podcast, much more on brand. So the X Good Girl Podcast, and I'd love for my listeners to just get an idea, a deeper understanding of like what it means to be 
trained or indoctrinated to be a good girl and like how you help people unwind that. Cause I know so many of the people I mostly work with women. A lot of my one-on-one clients are men, but like the groups that I run predominantly women. And I see so much of that. And I think just with your training, um, Sarah has specific training and a lot of like feminist theory intertwined in coaching that would really help illuminate what Ooh, let's do are it. experiencing. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I love you. Thank love you. you Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. If this podcast has been helpful to you, I would really appreciate it if you would give me a five-star rating in whatever platform you listen to your podcast. And if you go to my website, sarahfisk.coach, you can sign up there to receive my emails. Right now I'm taking private one-to-one clients who want my help speeding up this work in their own lives. I really hope to provide a lot of free information on my website and in my podcast for people to do this work on their own. But if you're interested in having a coach like me to help you implement these things faster, to find the blind spots and obstacles that you're not aware of, go to my website and sign up for a consult. That's a time when you and I can get on Zoom and talk about the particulars of your situation, and I can show you how I could be helpful. The second thing you can do on my website is sign up for a freebie that I have called Difficult Conversations. Having a conversation that seems like it's going to be hard or difficult is one of the things that people pleasers struggle with. And so I've created a whole guide for you to be able to do that with some more confidence. That will also get you signed up for information about my group program, Stop People Pleasing, which is coming again at the end of April, beginning of May. And it's a group coaching program where you join a community of women just like you who are struggling to overcome perfectionating and people pleasing. And we do it together in a group. It's a really amazing opportunity to not just learn from your own experience, but just to see how similar you are to so many other women out there. The healing and the challenging and the laughing and the growth that happens in that beautiful community of women is really amazing. And if it's interesting to you, I would love for you to know about it. Thanks again for listening.